Um, before I um, share the message for today, uh, when we were worshiping, uh, God highlighted to me a picture of us, you know, standing shoulder by shoulder. I guess we've never been that intimate in a small room, you know? Um, and so, not just seating or standing next to yeah. each other, but locking arms. Yeah. Can I borrow you? Or Teresa, can I borrow you on the other side? Locking arms, like this, you know? Like this, side by side. And layers, layers of us, as the soldiers of Christ Jesus. Layers of soldiers, together. So God is thinking. God is speaking about the oneness, oneness in our minds, in our spirit, in our hearts, after God, standing for what belongs to us. And as next year comes around, there will be spiritual advancement for the church. That's what the significant thing about next year is. There will be spiritual advancement, individually and corporately. It's not going to come cheap, it's not going to come easy, but it will come for people who live intentionally. And so we are not able to stand on our own. We need to lock arms with our brothers yeah. and sisters. Yeah. There will be new one added to us. There will be new people coming to our family. And they will be fitting right in. Because you're just going to make a gap and you're going to lock their arms right on both sides. So it is about in reinforcement, the strength coming together. When one is weak, they're not going to go down because you are carrying them. And when you are weak, someone's going to carry you. And so the, prayer, the power of prayer comes in where we are not able to be physically locking arms all the time, but spiritually we must remain locking arms in prayers. Pray for one another. We know that we have a team of assess uh, assessors um, in the church, but everyone's called to be an assessor, right? Intercessor, I mean. Yeah, everyone's called to be an intercessor. Praying for each other, praying for the church, praying for the leaders. And so we uh, continue to building on this life of prayer for next year. And it's going to be a stretch year. It's not going to be an easy year. If we want something different, we must do something different, right? We can't do the same thing, expect the same results. And so if we desire this spiritual advancement that God has in store for us, we must do more. Do more in prayer, do more in unity, in reaching out to ask for help instead of going down by yourself and being isolated by the enemy. And doing more about reaching out and asking, how can I help? How can, what can I pray for you? And praying in tongues so that we can pray about all the things we do not know, but the Holy Spirit will give us utterance to cover it all. Amen? So that's just uh, what God has given me um, before, uh, just now. So the word for today, um, actually is for these, and the next two weeks, so for three weeks we're going to do a series. I'm going to do this week and next week, and Tosin will finish it up uh, with strength. Um, the last week, the third week, 14th of Jan. So the topic is the violent take it by force. Mm. Have you heard that before? Yeah. The violent take it by force. So it's in the Bible. It's in the Matthew chapter 11. So in the, I'll give you the context first before I get into the couple of points that God has for us for today. So in Matthew chapter 11, this is when Jesus spoke to the multitudes about John the Baptist. So John was now in prison and his disciples were sent by him to Jesus to ask, just to confirm if this is the Messiah that they had been waiting for. So after Jesus gave the answer to their, John's disciple, he then faced the multitudes and talked about John. right? But John is not the character of today's discussion. The discussion of today is about the group of people that responded to John's message. So I read from Matthew chapter 11, verses 12 to 15. <coughs> from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah, who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When John the Baptist entered the scene, this is a critical time of transition between the old covenant into the new covenant. So if, if you think about it, let's imagine that, we, that you and your family are planning for a holiday. You want to go for a holiday, you pick a date, and you've been planning towards it, you're talking to each other. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to go. This is when we're going to go and all the places we're going to visit, right? So you've been building up this excitement. You've been longing for it. You've been waiting for it. You're counting down to it. It's the holiday. And the day comes. 
He said, load the car, go in the luggage, you know, and drive to the airport and off you go. So the, the day has arrived. So that is the significance of John the Baptist's ministry when he started, when the word of God came to him in the wilderness <coughs> to start his ministry. It's the beginning of the fulfillment mm -hmm. of all the prophecies to date about the establish, establishment of the kingdom of God on the earth. So the moment John came into the scene, no more prophecies, but now the fulfillment of prophecies. This is significant in the history. All the waiting is over. The plan of God, the mystery of his will has begun to unfold. But did everybody know? Not everybody knew that was the moment. And so here Jesus standing before the multitudes, explaining it to them, making it clear to them that this is now the time. And the prophecy about the messenger has been fulfilled. It is John. John is the one. John is the messenger that is making the way for the Messiah. And those who have given, who have been given the spiritual understanding will be able to recognize that is John is the one. And so then who is the Messiah? Is Jesus the one who's standing right in front of them? But only those who have given the right the understanding, spiritual understanding, those who have ears will be able to hear. The kingdom of God has arrived on earth and is making itself known. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, the door to the kingdom of heaven is finally open for all to enter. Now, before the time of John the Baptist, the only way to enter the kingdom of God was through the Old Testament laws and sacrifice. But in Jesus' time, these had become cold and cumbersome rituals, and people's hearts were far away from God. They just did it, but they were not with God. But when John the Baptist came into the um, scene with the power of the Holy Spirit, what did he preach? He preached uh, turning away from sin, repentance, putting faith in the coming Messiah, and multitudes who previously was away from God, who were not actively seeking God, are flogging, flogging to the wilderness to be baptized by John, to turn away from their sin and to put faith in the coming Messiah. So the door was open and it's out of those people who have been waiting for all this time, generations after generations. A group of people called the violent, take it by force, entered in. So lots of people was waiting, all the Jews were waiting. But only those who were violent were pressing in to the door, who was able to recognize that is the door. They were all waiting, but not all of them recognized the door. Those who recognized pressed in violently. Luke chapter 16 verse 16 says, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Okay, so that's the kingdom of God advancing. People are entering in. But remember, not everybody entered. Only those who were able to recognize the way was able to enter in. And it didn't cost them nothing. They had to violently press in. They had to violently take, it, take the possession of it. So what were that, why were they pressing in? Because there were obstacles. Overcoming any obstacles and opposition that was posed by the laws, about the traditions, by the unbeliefs, by anything that Satan threw at them. They had to overcome that to be able to enter the door. It wasn't a walk in the park, just walk in. They had to overcome a whole bunch of obstacles, mostly in their mind, where the battles are, right? So let's study more about this group of people and their attributes, because this is us, the chosen one. Those who have ears that have heard, seen, have chosen to enter. But we don't want to just stay by the door or just cross in and then never go all the way in and take possession of everything that belongs to us in the house. Right? So I have this question for you. Are you open to God's higher way? Are you open to God's higher way? And I will explain more what I mean. So when John the Baptist entered the scene, God's people have been waiting generation after generation. They've been rehearsing the prophecies about the coming king in the waiting, right? They've been, been, they've been told that there will be a messiah, then there will be a messenger, then there will be a messiah, and then there'll be, he'll be the light into the darkness, and then there will be freedom, the government's going to be on his shoulder, 
there'll be peace, there'll be rest and abundance. They'll be expectant. But for generations, they only know how to approach God through keeping the laws and sacrifices. Now John the Baptist showed up and he preached something completely different. He said, repent and put your faith in this coming Messiah. And guess what? He looked nothing like a royal messenger either. And so he wasn't the, one, the, the messenger they expected in their own understanding, their own preference, their own expectation. So can you imagine the Jews hearing John's message and feeling like standing on a crossroad? There's this way written by the law to approach God. And there's this now new way, apparently the only way, the now way to enter. That is very different to enter the kingdom of heaven. So that presents an invitation to people to accept or decline. To decline, no thanks, I'm gonna continue the safe way that I know all along. Or they would accept and say, I don't quite understand, but my heart say, go this way, and I'm gonna go this way. We make many decisions every day, right? And some days we make more significant life-changing decisions than other days. So when we face those decisions, are we using our head or are we using our heart to make the, the, the decision? When we stand before the crossroad of options, do we use our reasoning, our human wisdom and understanding and experience, which is our head, or are we using our heart, being led by the Holy Spirit, even though the way might look very foolish to our human understanding? That's not my question. Are we open to God's higher way? So a group of people responded like we knew, the multitude flogging to the wilderness to um, be baptized and receive the entrance into the kingdom of God. Those people, are those that were able to hear and yielded to the Spirit. So you hear and then what? You need to do something about it, right? So they heard and they yielded to the way of the Spirit. But then the other group, who declined the invitation, I imagine something like this going on the head with the reasoning. This is absurd. This new way doesn't say anything about these rules, about do not touch, do not handle, do not taste. I do not feel safe about that. Right? Or oh, this new way doesn't require any pious self-denial, strong devotion and severely body, bodily discipline. How can I become holy then? I'm not going to be holy enough, God. And on top of that, look at the messenger. He's not even qualified. <laughs> on paper, let alone his look. <laughs> right? And he's also using harsh words. Yeah. Yeah. They call people brood of vipers, meaning offspring of snakes. It doesn't sit right with me. You know, that kind of reasoning, kind of feelings and emotions. So this group of people allow their reasoning based on human wisdom and experience to dominate the decision-making. And so they miss God completely. They miss God, although they genuinely desire to enter. They've been waiting. They've been preaching. But they miss the door. They insisted that this door is not the door. They insist that there must be a different door that is going to open any moment, but not that way. It must be a different one the way I like it, the way I prefer it to be, the way I expect it to be. So they insisted that they know better. So that's pride, right? That's pride. So their pride blocks their ears, blocks their spiritual ears and spiritual senses to recognize the only way to the kingdom of heaven is through repentance and putting faith in Jesus Christ. That is called misdirected zeal. Have you came across this phrase in the Bible? Misdirected zeal. They have zeal, but it was misdirected. Romans chapter 10, verse 1 to 3. Paul said this. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected <coughs> zeal. For they do not understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. So we can have zeal, but we can miss God 
if we are allowing our human reasonings and wisdoms to override the voice of the Holy Spirit. So are we open to God's higher way? Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so His ways are higher than our ways, His thoughts than our thoughts. If we want to travel on that higher way of God, we must be led by the Spirit and not by our own reasoning and emotions. And it starts with what? An open heart. We don't understand, but we're open. We don't want to limit God with our little head, with our mind, with understanding. And then the keen ears and keen eyes to see and recognize. Then he will enable us to hear and understand. But it starts with an open heart. If we shut everything down, having a fixed mind about everything, we are not able to receive the understanding that God has. He's so willing to give it to us. So whatever you're waiting on the Lord for, when you see something vastly different from what you personally experienced in the past or expecting, preferring it to be, but your heart is rejoicing, then you're called to trust the Lord. He loves to be trusted. Proverbs 3, 5 say what? Trust in the Lord with all your hearts and lean not on your own understanding. Don't let your understanding, your limited understanding to get in the way. But trust Him. Especially when things are vastly different from what we're used to. And it's most of the time with God. Most of the time. Otherwise, we can't do it ourselves, right? Why do we need God? Don't close our eyes and run or turn cynical. So there's a message for us from the Lord. I wanted to move on from here when I prepared the message, but he really wanted to camp there. And then the message came during the overnight prayer, just the last night. Um, and so I'm going to read to you what he said concerning this particular point about are you open to my higher way? There is a message from the Lord for the body of Christ at this time when his move to bring out the great harvest is imminent. In the spirit realm, momentum is building. He is longing to show his church what he wants to do so the body can co-labor with him to display his glory across the world like never before. There will be unusual signs and wonders. There will be things we are not used to, things that will challenge everything religion has taught us. Our comprehension of God is like a drop of, in the ocean compared to the fullness of his measure. He longs to reveal himself to us. We will not be able to understand everything with our own intellect. So follow our hearts and not our head. Let the Holy Spirit who teaches us all things lead the way. His children will be led by him. His sheep will hear his voice. Those who cannot recognize and oppose the move of God did not belong to him in the first place. That's what God had for us. God is seeking willing vessels to display the glory. But before he can use us, he needs us to trust him. Before he can use us, he needs us to trust him. He wants us to trust him. That's why he's asking, are you open to my higher way? He's calling us not to limit him by our small thinking so that he can anoint us for the harvest. He wants to use us. He's looking to and fro for the vessels. He's more willing to use us than we ask him, use me but he needs to do the work in us so that we're able to be open. Are you, are you open to my higher way? He's saying. I can see in the tone of his voice that he's just calling out. Yeah. Just be open. Don't close your mind. Don't close your mind towards me. Open your heart. Be expectant, but not in your own kind of expectation. Be expect, expect more. Expect something different and I will confirm it with you. Now say, we made up our mind and yielded. We said, yes, Lord, I'm open. I'm ready. I trust you. Then what's next? What's the next thing? That's required of us now. James 4, 7 says, faith that does nothing is dead. 
So it's about corresponding actions. Faith does, that does nothing is dead. So it's about the corresponding actions. The multitude who made up their mind to follow the way, who were at the, who were at the crossroad, and now they made up their mind to follow the way. What did they do? They didn't stay there. They came out to John, the Bible says. They came out to John to be baptized. Their first corresponding action was that they made their decision public. And then they repented from their way and they put their faith on the, in the coming Messiah. This group is called the violent take it by force. Why does it take violence? So I will read to you from Amplified Version of the same scripture to give us some more understanding. And from the days of John the Baptist until the present time, the kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault and violent men seize it by force as a precious price. A share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with the most ardent zeal and intense exertion. Zeal, exertion, intense burning zeal. So after recognizing the way to enter the kingdom of heaven, it appears that entering is not easy. But these people went after it to possess it with all their might. They had to apply force, aggressiveness. They wasn't able to just walk in. So imagine this is the door. This is the door. And this side is the kingdom of heaven. And this side is where the people were. They want to enter it and recognize this is the door. This is the way. I just need to enter it now into the kingdom of heaven on the other side. So what is on that side? And what is on this side? And what is stopping them that they have to force themselves in? So I'd like to say that this side is a promise of rest and abundance and freedom. And this side, they are sick of being oppressed, of living in darkness for generations. They are sick and tired of it. They have enough. They have nothing to lose now. And the hope is renewed. The door is open. It is here. It is now. And so they took it all that they've got and entered it. They have enough of what they've had for so long. And they're desiring so badly the promise, the life, the real life, the life of abundance. Not lackness, not sickness, not oppressions anymore. So they have nothing to lose but pressing in despite all the obstacles and oppositions, right? I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the laws and the traditions of the day and the, the, the unbelief and, and anything that the Satan could throw at them. So imagine a person who is drowning, seeing a float that's coming their way. They would try all their might to grab hold of that float because that's life and death. So it's like that. You think about those violent people take it by force. It's not like, oh, it's a good idea. Let's have a go about it. Let's have a go. Let's try it out. It's life and death. All their might. Because this is all that, it's the only chance, the only hope. If I don't put it all in, that's it. I'm going to drown, I'm going to die, I'm going to sink. So it's like that with us and the gospel. All in or nothing. It cannot be lukewarm. Otherwise, we're going to stay at this level of manifestation of God. <coughs> so force and intense exertion may sound like forced, the door needs to be forced open, right? It sounds like the door needs to be forced open, but the door is already open. So the problem is not with the door being closed. The problem is the people who are not able to go into the door that is open. So it reminds me of prodigal son, right? There's never the problem with the father. The father is always like welcoming. Whatever you want, I'm here for you. Stay. Have the best life ever. <coughs> but he's the son that made the decision. Walk away after a while. Came back to senses and came home again. But the father has always had open hands wide open. So the door is wide open. So I suggest that it's never God's problem in providing. It is our problem to receive, to grab hold of what belongs to us. Because Romans 8.32 says, But God spared not his only son, but gave him up for us all. Then he will freely give us all things. So we've got to come and think about that kind of 
scriptures. When the enemy comes and lies to you, I don't think that you're good enough to receive that blessing, <coughs> that things you're asking for, that's too much. Look at you. Oh, he's mad, he's angry. <coughs> the door is open, <coughs> permanent. So the force and intense exertion and the passion required to break in is to do what? To break free from any hinders, mm -hmm. any hindrance, any bondage, any chains, any distractions, disappointment, mm -hmm. entrapment of the enemy. To break free so that we can enter. The door is open, but we need to break free from, from our own entanglements in things around <coughs> us. So I'll give you some examples of violent people in the Bible. Not physically violent, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Some example of the violent people in the Bible so that we can um, see that more alive, what I'm, I'm, saying, what I'm saying here. The first one is a woman with the issue of blood, right? In, the, in Matthew um, chapter 9. So we all know that story very well. So I want us to see, see, this, see those stories in these kind of um, illustrations, the door, the, the promise, the hope versus the current state and the pursuit, the pursuit to go through the door with all their might. So this woman of issues of the blood, she was 12 years, 12 years of suffering in pain. 12 years is a long, long time. If we're in pain for an hour, we really felt like it's eternity. It's 12 years of pain and suffering. And in, back in those days, with the issues of blood, she would be considered unclean. And anything she touches would be unclean. And that means she was excluded from a lot of social interactions. And so that kind of quality of life, is no, no one desires that kind of life. She would be sick of that kind of life after just a year, let alone 12 years. So she sought help from all the places. All the doctors could not help her. It got worse. So life was as good as dead. So this is what she's sick of. She goes, I'm so sick of that. <coughs> but then there's hope. The hope came when she found out about Jesus who's been doing miracles. Mm. So the hope was renewed. And what is it that she sees? She doesn't just see a, a Jew that's able to perform miracles. What she sees on the other side of the door is a normal life. Pain-free life. A joyful life without being shamed, without being treated badly by people, excluded from things, a normal life, a happy life. And so that drives her, that drives her actions to break in, to enter in, to do all she could to approach Jesus, to touch him. Because she, need to, she needed to sacrifice her life to be able to touch Jesus, right? Because she was not allowed to be in public. And she, was, she had to overcome the fear of those people recognizing her and shaming her because she's disobeying the law. So she tried all the way to try to press in and touch him. And that pursuit, it sounds simple, but in those days, in her condition, with the environment, with the culture, it wasn't easy. That was life and death. And she chose to go all the way because she's sick of the situation and she wants freedom. Another woman, in the Bible, the Gentile woman with demon-possessed daughter in Matthew chapter 15. This is another violent person, not giving up until she got what she wanted. Also because she was sick of the situation, she has a daughter that was severely, the Bible says, severely demon-possessed. That means this daughter was not able to, to function as a normal human being. It's quite likely that trying to harm herself, harming people around her, not able to be a productive member of the fair of the household. And what would that cost to the parents, to the household? The quality of life of that household. It's like what? Everyone needs to care for her, protect her, keep her away from other people, lock her up probably. Watching her, their own daughter suffering in pain. So that kind of quality of life, this woman is sicker for her daughter and for her family. And so when she heard about Jesus, when there's the little hope that came, there's this Jesus, even though he's, she's not allowed to, because she's a Gentile, she's not supposed to go and talk to a Jewish man. But the hope came, and she was so desperate to be free 
from this situation for her daughter and for herself, for her family, she let go of her pride and go and find Jesus, right? And so she found Jesus. She approached him and she begged for healing. And Jesus knew his mission was for the Jews. There will be people coming later for the Gentiles, but not, not the mission of Jesus. He's very mission-focused. So it's not like he's harsh, but he's sent to do what he needs to do. So he's focused on that, right? So he said what the, the, the healing is the children's bread. The children here is the, the, the Jews. And so we cannot just leave it to the little dogs. Mm -hmm. So indirectly, Jesus is comparing her yes. with little dogs, mm -hmm. right? If these days we talk to people like that, it doesn't sit right with me. You know? <laughs> anyway, so she let go of her pride because she needed the freedom more badly than her pride. She let go of that pride and she persisted. And she said, that's okay. Even the little dogs eat the crumbs that have fallen from the master's table. And so that demonstration of faith, that demonstration of aggressiveness in taking hold of what's available in the Messiah, gave her the answer that she needed. And the third example, the last one, is the persistent widow and the unjust judge. Right? So this widow is probably being um, mistreated in the sense that she would have been looked after by her relatives. That's her rights and privileges as a widow, but maybe it wasn't given to her. And so she was sick of not, she's sick of the injustice that she's receiving. And that this judge is supposed to do his job, but he's not doing his job. And maybe not only her, but other people around like her, probably also missing out from their rights and privileges. And so she decided to stand up for, for justice, right? She said to approach the, the, um, the judge. Instead of going her own way, instead of finding her own way to take revenge or take her, you know, find her own, own way to justice, she decided to go to the judge with the rightful way of doing it, to persist for justice. She was applying pressure, not giving up, even though she was denied, I'm sure, multiple times, before this unjust judge gave up, gave in, and gave her what, she, what belongs to her. So again, she was sick of it, and she knows what belongs to her. This is mine. I must have belongs to, my, to me. And this is the way I'm going to go after that way. I'm not going to go any shortcut. I'm going to take. I'm not going to help God. You know, I'm going to go to the right way, and I shall receive what belongs to me. So three things that have that are in common in these people. There are three things. They are sick of their current situation. They know what they want. They know what they want. They know what belongs to them, and they went after it with all with everything. They did not stay in a pity party and settle for the low level of life, for the low quality of life. They did something about it when they were given hope. They couldn't create their own hope, but when hope was given to them, they did something about it. They took action. They didn't put it aside and say, oh, no, for somebody else, not for me. They went in because they were sick of the situation. For us to remember easily, I named the three things, three Ps. Three characteristics of violent people taking it by force. The people who live intentionally and purposefully. Number one P is pull factors. They are pull factors. Something's pulling them, driving them. It's like a vision of the destination. You know, this woman with the issue of blood must have imagining them, he herself being free from this pain, being able to live a normal life again. That's the pull factor. Or the woman with um, uh, the, the demon-possessed daughter would have a vision of her family being a normal family, that their child would be able to be a productive one, be able to do things for herself independently, to be able to contribute to the household and not being crazy. So there's vision of the destination, what they want, what belongs to them. It's pulling them, pulling their desire, pulling their actions, pulling their choices. Number two P is push, push factors. It's where they are, they're sick of it, they have enough. I'm tired, I'm sick of this, really, really badly. I do anything to get out of here. The push factors, you have to have push factors. Otherwise you sit there and 
Oh, that's quite alright. I don't mind. I can manage this. It's not too bad after all. And you talk to yourself to mellow and stay. Well, God is calling. Come. There's more. There's life in abundance. Don't settle there. So we must have both. We must have pull factor and push factor. So in the morning when we get up, what is pulling us to get up early to pray? What's pushing us out of bed? Not just, oh, another day. I don't know what I'm doing in my life. You probably just want to lie there for the rest of the morning until somebody needs you there. Oh, I'm going to get up now. Right? So that kind of intentional and purposeful life. If we know, if we have the pull and the push factor so strongly in us, we would have number three, which is the pursuit. Pull, push, and pursuit. The pursuit is a proof of the desires. You can say you have you desire a bunch of things all days long, but you do nothing about it. There's no proof that you actually want that. Maybe that means you want them a little bit, but not that much to make a change in your life. The actions that proves the one that has faith, right? So if you can say you have faith, but you're not doing anything, you're actually not. It's dead. Everything will align. Everything in your life will align. If you really have a pull and a push factor working for you, you will naturally reprioritize in your life to get where you want to go, to live where you want to be, uh, you don't want to be anymore. So my personal example is a few years ago when I read a book called You've Already Got It and learn about divine health is available for me to walk in because Jesus Christ suffered for my deliverance of, sin, of sickness and disease and so I don't have to suffer anymore. That was like the light came off, you know, it turned on. The light went on. Well, I don't have to be sick anymore. I really, I really want this. Like, I really want it. I, I want it. It's a really good idea, but I really, really, really want it. Like, I really want it. I, don't, I want to be free from all the chronic problems that I used to be okay about because the doctors, I used to have to live with it, you know? Or everyone's talking about them, so it must be normal. I want to be like people. But so I really want this. Imagine this. I started imagining if I'm just going to leave sickness free. That vision started to excite me. Imagine I can serve God without any hindrance physically. I would never have to cancel any meeting. I just turn up when I say I would turn up. And he can use me freely. I don't have to, oh. <coughs> and so I can't do what I need to do. You know what I mean? And then I realized that imagine if I'm not sick, I will shine the light. I will be very different from the rest. And this is when the gospel is going to be attractive without me preaching. Who's going to tell them I never get sick? I, I just what I do when I get, get attacked. And then they has to leave me. And how powerful that is, leaving the gospel. I'm not talking about the gospel anymore, but I want to leave the gospel. I really want that. But I know that it was a head knowledge because I was reading somebody else's revelation in a book and it excites me. And you can know what motivation, excitement will last for about three days. And that's it. You win off. You do nothing about it. It will leave you. So it was an invitation. I know that it's not my revelation yet. It's in my head. It's not in my heart yet. I need to make it my own revelation. It's a pull factor for that moment, but I want it to be permanent. A permanent pull factor. So then I also have to create my push factor. I have to think about all the time I was sick and people had, I, I had dependent children and what that means to them. You know, all the push factor, I don't want that anymore. I don't want that kind of sickness anymore. I don't want that kind of condition and pain and, and anticipation. All oh, that time of the year come, I'm going to have this condition. I don't want that fear anymore. So what do I do now? Actions, right? Corresponding actions, right? First, the first things I did was to make that vision stick, right? to become mine. I memorized healing scriptures, I memorized authority scriptures. I put the scriptures everywhere, and my bathroom is my prayer room. I lock myself in there for many hours, so I display everywhere. The whole world is full of scriptures. I listen to tapes and books about healing, about authority, so I'm constantly flooding my mind. My information intake is all about healing and authority. That means I swap now, naturally I swap my information intake from something else that was not helping me before to some things that I desire. Because I only still have the same amount of time uh, per day, right? But I have to swap. So I reshuffle things. 
or before I used to watch XYZ or go and talk to XYZ. But not enough time for that. I need to get this into my head. I need to get into my heart. And so I spend time. I would take time off work. I would sit in the room for eight hours and just sit on the certain scriptures. I said, I know, God, I need to have this into my heart. I must go in. It's still here. I need to get it in here. And I would just meditate on them. Walking around, praying in tongue, try to visualize myself. And I would break apart scriptures to really take hold of it, like chewing it, chewing it. I remember Ephesians chapter 1, you know, scriptures about how Jesus is far above all principalities and authorities and powers. And I am the body of Christ. So I'm far above all those things. And so I just close my eyes, walking around the room, imagining I'm far above it all. All of that sickness and disease that enemy's trying to come bring at me, spirit of infirmities, all that kind of unclean spirit that are under my feet, far above. Not even right here, but far below. I'm way up there, way up. Way up. So I started seeing myself different. I see myself way bigger and taller. I'm seeing myself where Christ is. Not where I used to be down there begging God, please heal me. I'm up there with Jesus. Reigning. Reigning as, as king in this world. <coughs> and that's where the excitement comes even more, right? Even more of the pool. More of the pool. Bless God. And then, Sosin and I will just talk about it. So not only controlling what's coming in, but I'm controlling what I'm hearing. I don't want to be around people who talk about sickness anymore. No. I don't want to be around them intentionally. Not, not for me forever, but for a time, I need to get this in. If I work so hard, extra hours a day to meditate, and I'm spending an hour with you and you talk about sickness, mm -hmm. I haven't got it in my heart yet. I'm going to be easily influenced by you. So I must isolate myself from those influences to get it inside me. And so again, prioritizing. I love you, my friend. I told my best friend. I love you a lot, but she talks about sickness all the time and I'm not able to be able to preach about divine healing yet. I haven't got it yet inside. I can't preach yet. It's not mine yet. I'm sorry, I, I can't even tell her that, that I believe differently, but I say I, I can't spend time right now. I felt it's a season I need to relock myself away and meditate on the Word of God. <laughs> so I'm not able to see you every week. I'm not able to call you every week. But I'm here if you need me urgently for anything. But I'm not able to do this regular catch-up and I can't. I had to overcome fear, right? Fear of rejection. Because someone who dears to my heart, but I had to make a decision because I want it badly enough. And I know that later on, when I am able to grab hold of the truth, living the gospel, I will be a blessing <coughs> to my friend. I will then be able to preach to her and demonstrate to her the power of the gospel. But right now, two of us are sitting there together. Where are we going? Someone's going to go and, you know, get the truth and come back and show the people. If everybody's sitting together around in a pity party, it's not going to change anything. And so I had to say goodbye to her for a season. We're still friends. I'm able to turn around and be a blessing to her now. But it wasn't easy at the time. So I meditate all day and night. I imagine things. I confess. I personalize the scripture. I confess. I speak to myself. I speak to Tosin. I speak to myself. I speak to my children. I sneeze. And then I'll say, thank you, Lord, for the healthy sneeze. And the children know. The moment I sneeze, they go, oh, mommy, thank you, for, thank you, God, for the healthy sneeze. So I, I speak life. I speak life. I speak life. And, and God is so awesome. When he, when he has put that desire in your heart and you're open and you, and you say, God, teach me more, he will bring resources. He will bring divine arrangement, divine opportunity to teach you more. Because Holy Spirit is the greatest teacher. He's been wanting to teach all this time. But I've been distracted. I've been like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And then I just do something else. But now I make myself sit with the Holy Spirit. In the quiet time and even when I'm about doing things, I'm at his feet, learning, 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 learning theory in the, in the, in the room, in the closet, and then applying it practically, speaking over <coughs> myself, speaking over people around me. I change my language. I don't talk sickness anymore. I speak life. I might have to describe my condition or my friend's condition, but I end it with, the scripture. I end it with the, the truth of God's word. Yeah, I feel this way, but I am healed in Jesus' name. I exercise my authority. I pray for the sick, seeing people being healed, but I want to receive my own healing. You know, it's harder to receive our own healing than praying for others because our five senses scream so loud. It sends signals to the brain saying, look at your body. It's sore. It's not well. What are you saying? Just relax, just lie down and have a nap. Just rest. 
But if you do that, you are not having the corresponding action with what you believe. You believe you are well, you need to be about doing things. That you, when you are well, you do. So why would you lie down? Mm-hmm. You know, so I had to face those battles. One had this intense headache. And I can't think straight. Almost lie down. I told him, I still told him, I need to lie down. And he said, no, 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 you're not lying down. You're not lying down. And that's just, just a reminder I needed at that time. Oh, what am I doing? I'm on, I'm on this journey. I'm on this fight of faith. I'm not lying down. I cannot. Of course I cannot lie down. No, why? Of course I'm not going to lie down, you know? But if I was so, I just want to lie down. Now. And so I went to the bathroom. I couldn't stand up, so I kneeled down on the floor. And then I sit down. And then this pity party came in. And I was like, why is it to be so hard? Why do I just can't lie down even if I want to lie down? You know, all these voices. Mm-hmm. And the Holy Spirit said, you're having a pity party. And I was like, what? Pity party? I do not want to have a pity party. God, I do not. And so I stood up and I prayed. I continued to press in. And so I think about half an hour after, it subsided. Not completely, but um, I was much more alert. And I thought, okay, it's time to get dinner. If I'm well, I should be about doing things that I should be doing at this hour. So I went downstairs and cooked dinner. And halfway through the cooking, it's gone. Completely gone. You know, so that was an example of exercising it, putting it to work. So I also learned to talk aggressive language. I've been taught to learn to speak polite language for so long. But I had to learn. When I learned authority, I learned how to speak aggressively to the enemy. You know? have to speak like, I command you to get your hands off me. I don't say that to people. Get out of my house. I can't say that. You know, it's so strange when I had to say those things. I can say, I can hear people say that, but ooh, I can't imagine it come out of my mouth. Like, that's just, you know, but I had to learn how to speak, say it out of my mouth. It's very strange, very, but I had to practice alone on my own first before I'm, I told him can hear me say those things. So, oh, Okay, well, he has to hear me now. I have to command now. And sometimes people come for healing and, and deliverance, and he'll put me on the spot where I do what you pray. I say, oh, I have to pray now. You know, <laughs> everybody can hear me, and it sounds so weird. Yeah, so all of that I had to face the fear and I had to overcome. But because I had that pull factor, I want to get it. I want to have it. When is it, and when is it going to be if it's not now? Right? Because I had enough. I had enough. I don't want to watch people, you know, sick anymore. I want to be able to be a solution. Because Christ in me is the solution. So if not now, then when? I'm just going to delay it and then regret later on. So you can see through that example how the desire drove me. The pull and the push factor drove me. And naturally, I prioritized, I reprioritized my life. I I made time for God. I made time for the Word. I made time to pray for people. I made time to pray for myself. I find people to practice, and God gave plenty of opportunity to practice authority, you know, over their, the sickness and the infirmities and oppressions over them. And, um, and I learned how to stir myself up. So over a period of a year of doing that, hey, it wasn't a week or two weeks, it's a year long. It's a year long of not socializing. Every weekend we would say no to any social invites. We would just lock ourselves in just three hours, Tosi would have three hours with God, I would have the children, and we swap. I have three hours with God, he wouldn't have children. It's just like that. We just intensely, just time alone in his presence. Just to block ourselves from anything else, to just get this life inside. And then now I don't have to do that as much, because that truth has become mine. So I'm able to walk in this reality. You can talk about sickness, I can be around people, talk about sickness, but it's not going to get into me anymore. It's gone. It's gone long ago because I've got a new system, new belief system installed inside of me. The old one has been what called it removed, yeah. uninstalled. It's gone. <laughs> but you have to maintain it, though. You know, if I'm not constantly reviewing, reminding myself about this revelation, it will get slowly fading away and replaced by something else. So it is something that you can have to maintain, <coughs> to maintain. Now, I'm gonna finish soon. I just want to encourage us that all God's people are meant to be violent, to take it by force. Take what belongs to you. And it begins with knowing what we want or what we do not want anymore. What we should want from the Lord. A lot of things we want, but what is it from the Lord that we want? And we cannot be aggressive if we want nothing. If we want nothing, we can't be aggressive. Right? Aggressive about nothing. 
We have to know the, what we want. Proverbs 29:18 says, "Where there is no vision, the people perish." The vision. You've got to know what you want. Isn't that timely for 2024? Because now is the time to know what you want. We should just start a new thing every day. But because lots of us somehow attached to the new year. And so here, let's make use of that. Let's make use of the thing about new year to start having a bigger vision. Get it inside of us. What is there in the kingdom of heaven that's available that you want? Is it intimacy with God? Is it hearing His voice more clearly? Obeying Him more completely? Is it the wisdom from God to prosper in all areas of our lives, in our relationships, in our callings, in our finances? Is it to be used by God to set the captive free, to restore the brokenhearted, to raise the dead? What do you want? How badly? How badly do you want it? And what are you sick of in your life? What are you sick of in your life? And how desperately you want to get out of it? How much? Don't talk to yourself that it's okay. And we'll talk more about this next week. But the holy dissatisfaction. You need to be dissatisfied with where you are. Otherwise, you're going to stay there. How sick and tired are you of your current level? Is it enough to make a permanent change? This is not a diet change. It's not a diet change. It's not... It's not, some, it's not going to the gym. This is like all in. This is life and death. It's life and death. Permanent change. So the next two weeks, we will talk more about the three Ps and share with you the spiritual disciplines and secrets from God that He revealed to us in living intentionally that we know is working. It works for us. So we want to share with you. So lastly, are you ready to stretch in 2024? In our church, as long as God gives Tosin and I the grace to lead, He has the full permission to build His church His way. Not our way, but His way. So what we get from the Lord is that something very significant is coming in next year in the form of spiritual advancement, which I mentioned earlier. That's why the Lord has given us this message of intentional living, intentional living as an invitation to be open to be open. The things that you're not open to before need to be open to it now. And to partner with Him to do what He wants you to do. So I leave you with these two questions from God to reflect with Him this week until we see each other again on Sunday. Are you open to God's higher way? And what do you want? Maybe add to it how badly. Are you open to God's higher way and what do you want?